This episode is brought to you by Skinny Pop Popcorn. Perfectly popped, endlessly delicious. Oh, so light and crunchy. Skinny Pop Original Popcorn is the snack you've been searching for. Made with just three simple ingredients, popcorn kernels, sunflower oil, and salt. Snacking never felt or tasted so good. Perfectly popped, endlessly delicious. Give yourself permission to snack and pick up Skinny Pop Original Popcorn today. This episode is brought to you by the Inspire Collection by Kalia. Ladies, your workouts are about to get an upgrade. The new Inspire leggings by Kalia are exactly what you want when it comes to activewear. It's their most versatile collection yet. They look good, feel good, and stay put. Using Lycra Adaptive Fiber, it compresses and molds to the body like a second skin. And it's unbelievably stretchy, so you can move however you want. Shop the Inspire Collection by Kalia now, exclusively at Dick's Sporting Goods. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Welcome to the Olive Podcast. I'm Janine, Olive's Deputy Editor and Podcast Host, and each episode I'll be catching up with chefs, cookery writers, and characters from the food scene in Britain and beyond. Join us each week to expand your food knowledge as our guests share 10 things we need to know about the specialist subject. And do listen out for our effortless bonus episodes where they also reveal their top cooking cheats, hacks, and shortcuts. I'm delighted to welcome Theo Randall to the podcast today. Theo is chef patron of Theo Randall at the Intercontinental, where he's been cooking beautiful, produce-driven Italian food since 2006. Theo is also a regular on our TV screens and author of four books, Pasta, My Simple Italian, The Italian Deli Cookbook, and his latest book, The Italian Pantry, released this month. Welcome, Theo. Thank you. And congratulations on your new book. It's beautiful. Thank you very much. Um, tell us a bit about the book and the inspiration behind it. Well, the inspiration really comes from my mother, who was a brilliant cook. And growing up, we had um, this, well, she used to call it a larder, but it was pantry, which was this huge cupboard uh, full of wonderful ingredients. And I remember going on holiday, we'd go to Italy and France on holiday. And uh, my, we used to always go camping and the trailer was always full. And there was sort of, there was kind of a bit of room in, in the back seats on the way out. But on the way back, we had our our knees to our chins, me and my two sisters. And it was because we had so much, <laughs> so much wine and <laughs> olive oil and all these sort of things. My mother's a real kind of hoarder in that respect. Yeah. So, and she was incredibly frugal and would always be making jams and things from, you know, any kind of windfall of fruit or apples and things. So I, I just kind of grew up with lovely food and uh, the whole kind of pantry thing was something I grew up with and and that's how I cook myself at home. Yeah. And obviously if you've got like a well-stocked pantry, then it's a basis for millions of different meals, isn't it? Well, the, the whole point of the book is it's got certain ingredients in the in the book and on each chapter and therefore that one ingredient inspires you to cook something so yeah. it might be some dried porcini mushrooms or it might be some polenta or something but those ingredients are the sort of start of the of the whole cooking experience and coming up with the dishes brilliant well let's start off with the ultimate italian pantry staple dried pasta 
and how to cook it perfectly. <laughs> Tell us about that. Well, I, I think we, us Brits tend to cook pasta a bit like potatoes. You know, we sort of put the pan on, look at the packet, it says 10 minutes, put the egg timer on for 10 minutes, cook the pasta in a pot of water, push the pasta in until you can, it finally sort of breaks in. And then uh, you cook it for 10 minutes and you go over to the sink, pour it into the colander and you've got so much pasta, it's overcooked. You add it to your sauce, you think, oh my, what have I done? So just rewind, have a big pot of water on, plenty of salt, good teaspoon of salt in the pot of water. Uh, cook 125 grams of dry pasta per person and no more than that. Your cupboard's going to be full of little packets of half-eaten, uh, half-cooked pasta. <laughs> Mine is. <laughs> exactly. And then, and then um, take the pasta out three minutes less than the packet says. Put the egg timer on for seven minutes if it says 10 minutes. And take the long pasta like spaghetti or linguine out with a pair of tongs. Something like short pasta, use um, a slotted spoon. And add that to the sauce. So let's say we're just making a tomato sauce. You've got a lovely tomato sauce. Take the spaghetti out or the penne. Take it out. Uh, put it into the pan. Get a couple of ladles of the pasta water and finish that last three minutes cooking with the with the pasta and the sauce so there's lots of water in there it looks quite soupy and what will happen is the starch will be released from the pasta and it will thicken the sauce and therefore the sauce will hold to the pasta and you've cooked the right quantity of pasta so you haven't got too much pasta in relation to the sauce so it's very very simple and it's that that is a kind of good tip on how to cook your pasta your dry pasta better yeah and dry pasta i think it used to be for some reason seen as maybe not as good as fresh pasta. But I mean, in this country, we don't really have access to really good uh, fresh pasta. But dry pasta is a great ingredient, isn't it? What should we be looking for when we're buying it? Well, there's lots of different variations in dry pasta. Obviously, there's lots of different shapes, but there's also different qualities as well. So if you're looking for, a, you go to the supermarket, you can find a kind of, you know, reasonably cheap uh, pasta, like spaghetti uh, from, a, you know, someone like Barilla or De Checo. And, it's, and it's, it's nothing wrong with it. It's great value for money and it, it'll taste delicious. But if it's that sort of special occasion or something really special, you want to make a really special sauce, go for um, bronze dye pasta. You'll see it on the, the packet. I always go with the principle, the Italians are so good at packaging. The fancier the packaging, the better the pasta. The longer it takes to cook, generally, the rule of thumb is it actually it, it is a better quality. The reason is they use bronze dyes which have this sort of texture on them as opposed to the steel dyes which make it very, very smooth. So, you know, a, a kind of a cheaper pasta will be very smooth on the outside, whereas a bronze dye will have a kind of almost like sandpaper effect which will hold the sauce that much better. And the durum wheat flour is much better quality. Yeah. And a dye, for people who don't know, is the thing that the pasta's extruded through to get the shape. Exactly. Right? So they make they make a dough with, with the durum wheat flour and water and then they extrude they extrude it through this this dye and whichever dye it is d depends on the quality. And next, another humble ingredient, breadcrumbs. Why are they so important in Italian cooking? Breadcrumbs, um, obviously it's a very frugal ingredient, something that you, you know, stale bread you should never throw away. I mean, stale bread's used in so many ways, whether it's been in a soup or... But, you know, if you just put them into a, a blender, get them to a nice fine pulp and then add them to some olive oil, a bit of garlic, maybe some fresh thyme, and then just fry the breadcrumbs. So you get this lovely kind of crispy breadcrumb. It's delicious on uh, pasta. Or you can, you know, do something like an arancini. You make some uh, left some leftover risotto rice. Uh, there's a recipe in the in the book for a saffron risotto with some uh, with spinach in there. And basically, we just use roll the roll the risotto ball in a bit of flour, uh, a bit of 
beaten up egg and then some breadcrumbs and then shallow fry them. And, you know, they add such a delicious flavor and texture. And, you know, in the south of Italy, they call it poor man's parmesan because it is so good. I mean, something as simple as chili, garlic and parsley with some lovely sort of herby, salty breadcrumbs on top makes a a delicious meal. Yeah, that's what's great about it because it actually just sucks up all that flavor, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And you can also use them as you do in the book as to stuff things as a stuffing and as a crunchy topping on like a, you know... Um, An al forno? Or like a gratin. A gratin. <laughs> There's a recipe in the book for um, a potato and leek uh, gratin and, and that is just so simple but so delicious and the breadcrumbs really make the difference. It really has that lovely kind of crunch and it sort of absorbs some of the moisture so the breadcrumbs take in the flavour themselves. Fabulous. So you were head chef at River Cafe for over 15 years before you left to launch your own restaurant. What was it like working in such an iconic place? Well, I started there in 1989. And when I turned up, Hugh Fernley Whittingstall was pastry chef and Sam Clark was one of the other chefs. And, amazing. Um, <laughs> and and um, th- th- there were just so many great people. And, and obviously being there for so long, I, I saw a lot of people come and go. Um, but, you know, it was just sort of being in the right place at the right time, I guess. You know, uh, the, the River Cafe had just started. When I first started there, there was a four-ring four garland gas oven, uh, a tiny grill and a deep-fat fryer. And that was it. And, you know, uh, you know, Rose and Ruth were in the kitchen every day. And um, I'd, pr- previous to that, I had very good training working with a chef called Max McGarrin in, in a restaurant. And, you know, it was really like cooking really great food. But everything came in, you know, all the uh, the fish came in whole, all the the animals came in whole. You know, I was I, I learned all the kind of skills as you should as a chef early on. So when I turned up at the River Cafe, it was it was a delight to be, um, you know, be working with Rose and Ruth, and they sort of put me as their sort of number two pretty pretty much straight away. So I was with um, in the kitchen, you know, working with two brilliant people. And they, I mean, they inspired your obsession with ingredients because that's what River Cafe was all about, wasn't it? Yeah, the River Cafe had fantastic um, ingredients. I mean, when we first started, it was quite hard to find the ingredients because there were not that many Italian ingredients coming into Covent Garden Market. And I remember going going there with Rose one night and sort of going to sort of see some of the produce because so these lorries coming in and there were incredible aubergines and things. But they only come in once a week. And so I remember working with Rose on, you know, lots of things. And one particular thing was when she bought these Cavolo Nero seeds and no one had even heard of Cavolo Nero. And she'd got them from the market in Florence and came back for the weekend, got very excited about it and gave them to a friend of hers. She had an, orga- an organic farm in Southampton and it's called Sunnyfields. And they, they started to grow Cavolo Nero. And then that's why Cavolo Nero is, you know, obviously in this country now because it what, was... What, so she started? She started it, yeah. So, I mean, they really were trailblazers in lots of ways. Fantastic. Um, but the produce was definitely inspiring. And, you know, I, I took, did a sabbatical and went off to Shape and East as well. And that was very inspiring because I had to see how, you know, the produce growing there was quite phenomenal. Um, and, 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 and again, a groundbreaking restaurant. But, uh, yeah. Talking of produce, tomatoes are a classic Italian ingredient. And you've got quite an unusual recipe for them in the book. Tell us about that. So there's a tomato recipe, which is a sweet tomato recipe using, uh, it's pretty much treating them like a tart tatin. So I've got, basically it's using sort of green tomatoes. And um, you treat it just as well as you would make a tart tatin. You seal the tomatoes off, you put some brown sugar in the bottom of the pan and some butter. But I'm talking about really like winter tomatoes that have kind of really firm. 
And it's a delicious dish to eat because you can have it in January where winter tomatoes are in season, particularly we get the, fir- the first of the season's Camoni tomatoes. And uh, it's incredibly simple to make. And even though you think, oh, my God, it's going to be savory, it's not. It's sweet. And yeah. the tomato, when it's cooked, if you think about it, tomato is a fruit. And so when you cook the tomato, it goes almost apricot-like. Yeah. So it has this delicious flavor. And um, I kind of tried it a few times and and I've I've, I've tasted cooked t- tomatoes in a, in a sort of sweet way, like a chutney. Yeah, and I just thought it's a, a great yeah. way to have a go at making a, a, a something different. Yeah, and um, yeah, it's. What do you serve it with? Would you just serve it? I would, with just, like... I would just serve it with creme fraiche, or yeah. maybe some uh, you know some sweet mascarpone cream or something. But or even ice cream. You just treat it exactly as you would a yeah, tart yeah, tartan. Yeah. Fantastic! I love that idea. So something we can look forward to next spring, and something you're a big fan of is um is wild garlic. Um, do you have a particular patch that you go pick in it? Because I know you're a big fan. Well, I I, I live northwest London, and so we've got uh, uh, Hampstead Heath is where I take my uh, lovely Labrador oh. dog for a walk, <laughs> and there there are huge patches of wild garlic up yeah. there. And there's a recipe in the book which is a, a potato and porcini soup. So using dried porcini, um, some leeks, potatoes, like like a potato and leek soup using yeah. porcini mushrooms. You blitz it, add some cream, and then. The little kind of the sort of the additional thing to the the recipe is getting some wild garlic, wilting it, adding a bit of cream, and then blitzing it to a kind of nice paste, and then put a nice spoonful of that on top of the soup. It goes so nicely with the soup, the potato, and the porcini. It works really nicely. And I think that's the thing about wild garlic. There's so much of it. You kind of wonder what to do, and there's things. Oh, let's make a a wild garlic pesto. But I actually, find if you kind of cook it and add it to something, it sort of works really well on its own. It can be a little bit overpowering. Can you freeze that as well if Absolutely. you did get a batch? Yeah. I think yeah. I mean, the wild garlic season is so short. It is really short, and, isn't and it? I think, yeah. yeah, make the most of it. I think the thing to do is get some wild garlic, blanch it, puree it, put it in little little bags, and and freeze it, and you can use it any time. You, you know when it's happening because suddenly Instagram goes mad with wild garlic <laughs> recipes. <laughs> it's like, oh, it's that season again. I remember. I remember as a kid going for walks um, in Wiltshire. Yeah. And and you know the. the um, the smell of the wild garlic. Yeah. I remember, you know, you just you could smell it everywhere. No one would pick it because it was just like smelt like sort of like garlic. You yeah. know, it's like not everyone <laughs> liked it. So, another couple of ingredients you were talking about in the book, which are foraged, are um, wild dandelion and nettles. Tell us about those. Well. Dandelion nettles kind of grow everywhere. And, um, you know, they're they're kind of, if you pick them and wash them carefully, I mean, use some Milton or something to wash them, they're absolutely brilliant. And and a dandelion, you know, if if you kind of look around on on any kind of green patch of grass in in a in a park or something you'll yeah. find lots of dandelion and um it's it's i mean the italians call it chicoria it's it's a kind of chicory it's, it looks exactly oh, right. the same okay. but they cultivate it and if you take the tough outer leaves off and use the sort of tender stem bits and then give them a good wash and then blanch them in boiling water it is absolutely delicious. Just braised. But on this recipe, it's a frittata. So I got a, I actually was on a walk again with my dog. It's amazing what I do with my dog. And, uh, you <laughs> know, we, best ideas. we, we, I no- <laughs> <laughs> we noticed so, there was obviously yeah. you see the nettles, but I noticed there was so much dandelion. Yeah. So I just took a bag and I picked lots of dandelion, picked lots of nettles, took them back home, washed them and blanched them, chopped them up. And I made a frittata with them, just beaten eggs, a little bit of Parmesan, salt and pepper. 
and then chopped uh, chopped up the greens, mix them in the greens, mix them in a bowl, and then put them in a pan with a little bit of olive oil, and then bake the frittata in the oven. And it was absolutely delicious. And, you know, this is what Italian food is about. Again, I keep saying the word frugal, but it is very yeah, frugal. Yeah. And it's about using produce that you can find. And you'll find so many people. When you're driving around Italy, you'll see people just sort of, a car just stopped in the middle of the road and someone <laughs> out there sort of picking wild greens yeah. off the side. You know, it's it's quite normal. I think we, we don't do enough of that. I think we're not as passionate about things like that. And I think people think you're a bit odd if you go and sort of stop your car and try and find some greens uh, or you see something exciting on the side of a road. So um, there's lots of things that you can pick. One thing I always love picking is fresh horseradish. There's so much horseradish is around. That, I love horseradish. It, it, I didn't know you could pick a fresh. <laughs> yeah, it looks like a, it looks, you always think it's a dock leaf, but yeah. it's got a thicker leaf than a dock leaf. It grows everywhere. I mean, it grows in parks all over the place. But on the side of the road in the countryside, you'll see fresh horseradish. And it won't be like the stuff you buy, the cultivated stuff. It won't be a big, thick stem. It'll be quite thin. But it is so strong. It's so powerful. And with, you know, some some uh, a roast beef sandwich with watercress, it is delicious. I think it's just a case of um, maybe getting a good foraging book with some like common, you know, things in there that people can pick. Because I think sometimes it's just being scared, isn't it, that we don't know what we're picking and we might be picking the wrong thing and eating it. So yeah, I think I think start off basically. Don't don't go kind of crazy and sort of try and find some obscure thing that you've you've read about. You know, look for things that you recognise and get used to using those. I mean, nettles are. I mean, they're they're all over the place. I mean, obviously, take some gloves with you. And yeah, I was going to say, what do you use? Do you like wear a yeah, well, I mean, just wear some wear some um, surgical gloves or some, you know, marigolds and, and just yeah. pick them. But, you know, you can you don't have to kind of be care. You just cut the stem. I mean, the thing is, it's wild. It grows back very quickly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And just cut the stem and then take them home and then pick the leaves off. You don't want the stems. You just want the leaves. Yeah. But once they're blanched, obviously, they've lost their sort of stinginess to it as well. But they've got this kind of like, you know, this sort of earthy kind of spinach taste, which is, you know, you go to a, a supermarket, you spend a fortune on a packet of some cultivated spinach spinach leaves, which really have got very little flavor, uh, 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 no flavor at all. Why not use some some wild greens? That's a great shout. Um, Another great budget ingredient and one of my favorites is chicken thighs. And I know you're a fan of them too. Tell us about those. Well, there's a few recipes with chicken thighs. And, you know, if you go to, you know, if you buy some chicken thighs, they're incredibly good value for money. And I think they're the kind of nicest part of the chicken, really. And I'm always amazed at the price of them. Um, there's a few recipes. There's one way where I keep the skin on and I just dust the, um, the the chicken thighs in a bit of flour and then I fry them in some oil so get a nice bit of color on the skin. And then I add some leeks and some porcini mushrooms and a bit of white wine and some stock, a little bit of cream, and then just bake them in the oven. And, you know, that is the most delicious uh, dinner. I mean, so d- you know, a, a, chick- a large chicken thigh or two two if you're hungry, you know, will, will feed most people. Um, there's another recipe in there which I love, which is my Venetian-style fried yeah, I chicken. I saw that one. That looks incredible. Which is, you know, really simple. It's the, There's no bone in the chicken thighs. You just cut the chicken thighs into in half, and then you marinate them with uh, lemon and sage, a little bit of salt and black pepper. And then you just do a classic, um, you know, flour, egg wash, bread crumb and shallow fry them and you know the the flavor of the lemon and the sage really comes out 
and it's such a delicious thing to have as a kind of like you know certainly certainly makes a really good snack but i i think chicken thighs should be used more they're incredibly tender very flavorsome and you know really easy to cook and they're quick to cook as well yeah, and they're quite forgiving aren't they as in they don't dry out like breast does. so if you do fried like your venetian fried chicken by the time you know the 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 breadcrumbs are really lovely and crunchy. The chicken and steak's still really, really juicy. I well, it's got that. texture and flavour. Yeah. That's the difference. I think, you know, the, so many people use chicken breast and it's pretty dull sometimes. I mean, you know, you've got to kind of wrap it in something or it shrinks and it's a little bit rubbery and tough. So go for chicken thighs. Yeah, really team, great team value thighs for all the way. <laughs> <laughs> Next, you're going to tell us about scomosa. Smoked scomots is featured in the book a few times, and it is one of those ingredients. Think, oh, where am I going to get that? But you'd yeah. be surprised you can get it. I mean, I, you can. I've see, seen it in quite a few supermarkets. Um, one waitrose definitely sell it, um, but I, I, I've seen it in lots of del- Italian yeah, delis, yeah, and sure. it's one of those cheeses. It's smoked, but it's very dense. It's got a. a, a it, you, it's quite. It's quite sort of firm. Yeah. And you can, it's brilliant for grating or you can slice it. But what's nice is it's got this amazing melting. It just melts so beautifully. It goes kind of, it just sort of um, goes really stringy in a nice way. And you've got that smokiness, which adds so much flavor. Yeah. But it's not over smoky. It's not something that you think, oh my God, it just tastes so strong as smoke. It's quite subtle. But the, it's, a, it's a brilliant cheese to use. And um, there's quite a few, as I said, there's quite a few recipes in there. There's one particular one, uh, which is a a, a a tort, a pastry tort. It's a bit of puff pastry. And I've got some Swiss chard, which is my favorite green in, in the world, <laughs> apart from nettles. And uh, with sweet onions, so just braised onions. And the smoked scumots are on top. And it's a very simple thing to make. You know, it's a perfect lunch thing, or it's a lovely little kind of, you know, have a glass with a glass of Prosecco or yeah. something. Uh, but the smokiness of the smoked scumots makes the whole dish. It really makes the whole thing taste really delicious. Wow. And does it melt like a mozzarella, or does it melt like a kind of, so is, is it stringy or is it kind of melty? It's much more melty. It's more, a bit more like fontina, the way oh, it melts, yeah. okay, or, yeah. or you know something like Emmental or something. It's, yeah. it's not like mozzarella, which obviously is quite watery. Yeah. And that whole idea of tying tying the cheese up and letting it hang lets all the moisture dry out. So it's it's very very dense. You, one scamozza will go a long way. Yeah, amazing. One to look out for. Um, and next, you wanted to champion. The underused cuttlefish. <laughs> well, I've always been a great fan of cuttlefish because, well, partly because the price of squid is just ridiculous, and um, cuttlefish is there's a lot of cuttlefish around, particularly around in the North Sea, and um, you know the the the, the flavour of it is quite unique. It it's got tastes like squid, but it's got a much nicer texture. It's much firmer. Now obviously if you get really big cuttlefish, you've got to cook it slowly. You cook it like in like a stew with some onions and tomatoes and some celery and some white wine. Um, but I find that the slightly smaller cuttlefish, so kind of about about sort of 20 centimeter size cuttlefish, yeah. go to your fishmonger, ask them to skin it. I mean you might need to order it beforehand, but you know it's it literally is a third of the price of squid. And um, get them to skin it and then take it home, cut it in half lengthways and then slice nice strips about a centimeter wide and then just toss it in a little bit of milk, a little bit of um, flour and then pan fry it in some olive oil um, so it goes really crispy on the outside. Drain off the oil, add a bit of 
chopped anchovy, bit of fresh chili, bit of parsley, a little squeeze of lemon, bit of sea salt. And it is the most delicious thing because it's got this amazing texture, which is kind of slightly chewy, but not unpleasant chewy. It's not like tough chewy. And um, I, th- I just think it's a very underused uh, ingredient. Yeah, because completely. I don't think I've seen it for sale. I mean, we, there's a lot of it. It just doesn't. I, I think a lot of people don't sell it because it's, they'd much rather sell squid because it yeah. will sell much, much better. But I think we should use more cuttlefish. Funny enough, cuttlefish is quite an aggressive fish and actually eats the squid. <laughs> so <laughs> they chase the squid away. <laughs> but they? yeah, they do. Um, and they can be, they get pretty large. The, the only thing with the cuttlefish is it's got the, its tentacles can be very tough. So you've got so, to almost yeah. cook the tentacles like you would octopus. Okay. But if you get small cuttlefish, I tend to skin them all and then slice them and then poach the, um, you know, the, the, the tentacles and then add the chopped tentacles to the, the fried cuttlefish when I cook it. And it, it's, it's just a really delicious way of eating um, you know, a fish that, that's inexpensive. And it has, an, as I said, it's got an amazing texture and amazing flavor. Definitely. And if people ask for it, then... Fishmongers will start stocking it. I well, guess. I hope so. <laughs> and lastly, um, you wanted to tell us why caponata is a vegan dream. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> well, caponata is, if you think about it, I mean, you've got red peppers, you've got tomatoes, you've got courgettes, you've got aubergines, you've got capers, you've got garlic, you've got basil, you've got all these delicious things, and they're all cooked very, very slowly. And then you mix them all together at the end. And then you serve it with some toasted bread, like some ciabatta or something. Yeah. And it is a vegan dream because, I mean, it's just you don't even really, I mean, you eat it and in, 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 it's so delicious to eat. It can be served on its own or if you're, if you're not a vegan, you can eat it with some meat or some fish. Yeah. But it is just such a nice thing to eat. And yeah. I think, you know, I, I've cooked this for many people, many friends and, you know, they're, they're someone being vegan and they're like, I can't believe this is so good. It's got, it's got so much flavor. I think it's that thing of those sort of vegetables like peppers and um, aubergines, you know, if you cook them properly and it does take a long time, it's a, it's a slow cook. It's not a fast fry in a pan. It's that slow cook. And it's just all the flavors you get. And and it's also the texture as well, having that kind of really sort of stew-like texture of aubergines that are just breaking up as you pick them up with a piece of meat. But also adding things like capers, which have got so much flavor, sort of saltiness. Love it, yeah. And, uh, you know, a little vinegary caper with aubergine, tomato and peppers. It's, it's, It's a great thing to eat. So definitely a vegan dream. So I think a lot of Italian cooking is unintentionally brilliant for vegans because it's, you know... Most dried pastas without egg is vegan. And then all of those different sauces, all the vegetables you were talking about, you know, it's that real concentration on making vegetables sing, which is which is great. So, Well, that really is southern Italian foods. Yeah. Southern Italy is brilliant for ve- vegetables because they grow so much vegetables, um, particularly somewhere like Puglia where they have, you know, it's just it's very quite flat land. Yeah. They have a lot of vegetables growing. They have the sunshine. And, you know, Sicily as well. I mean, you know, amazing, amazing for, for, for vegetables. And, and I think they rely on vegetables more than they do in the north. But um, it's very healthy food. And a lot of things are vegan without people even sort of mentioning Mention it. Mention it. Yeah, exactly. Your book, The Italian Pantry, is out now to buy and it's stunning. There's many chapters showcasing parmesan, polenta, ricotta, honey, and many, many more lovely ingredients, along with gorgeous recipes. I've bookmarked the pacheri with leeks and prosciutto. I'm going to make that this week. Um, 
So good luck with that. Um, what have you got coming up next? Well, there's uh, always the thing, lots going on. <laughs> um, so we do a regional menu in the restaurant every month. We do a different region. We just finished Basilicata. Um, we're going to be moving on to Umbria with all the truffles coming into season. Um, so each month we do a four-course meal um, and we include wine in the price. So we have wines from the region. So it's a kind of education of classic dishes from each region, but with the great wines from those regions as well. And it's an amazing value at £65, including everything. So that including really the wine and the food. <laughs> and it's it's just a lovely thing to do. And yeah. we've been doing it for over a year now. And there's 20 regions of Italy. And believe me, we're never going to run out of recipes. <laughs> um, and, you know, it's it's so nice. And people keep coming back in every month for it, which yeah. is which is great, great to see. Um, and then after that, um, I'm writing a new book at the moment. I'm not going to tell you the title, but it's all about vegetables. Oh, okay, well, there you go. We've just been talking. <laughs> I can see it in, in front of mind at the moment. Um, and where's the best place for people to keep in touch with what you're up to? Well, the best place is to look on uh, our website, theorandall.com, um, yep. and um, follow me on Instagram. And you'll find lots of things going on there. So, so on Instagram, you're at theo.randall, so people can find that. Well, thank you so much again for chatting to us today, Theo. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the Olive Podcast. For recipes and more information, head to olivemagazine.com. Do remember to listen out for our effortless bonus episodes where our guests reveal their best cooking cheats, hacks and shortcuts. And don't forget to subscribe at iTunes, Acast, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.